Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, most of you have probably heard the phrase, Simul justus et peccator. <laughs> I remember when I was in seminary, in the first two years, I lived in the dorm, and there was a banquet going on, and one of the menu items was beef au use. And it was posted on our dorm wall in the hallway, and I wrote on there and made it say, beef au justus et peccator. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, that was bad that, was bad that I did that. <laughs> so it's a Latin phrase coined by Martin Luther. This phrase is often mistranslated. We often hear people say, at the same time, saint and sinner, uh, but that's not really what it means. Uh, it's at the same time, justified and sinner, or at the same time, righteous and sinner. It's a paradoxical condition of Christians, that God has declared us righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ, and yet we still retain our sinful nature, which leads us to sin in thought, word, and deed. This righteousness that is ours from God, it's what we call an alien righteousness. That is, it comes from outside of us, and that's where we look. We look outside of us to God, to the cross, to seek grace and forgiveness. Therefore, when God looks at us, he sees us as his beloved, righteous children through our faith in his son. On the other hand, if we try to look inside of ourselves for this righteousness, we're going to find nothing but sin and death. And that's exactly what St. Paul is describing in today's epistle from Romans chapter 7, just a couple of verses from it. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my mind another law waging war against the, <clears throat> against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. If you do happen to look inside of yourself, oops, sorry. If you do happen to look inside of yourself and see righteousness, that is basically what is known as self-righteousness. And I'm sure we can all agree that is not a good thing. A common word that we think of with, associated with self-righteousness is Pharisee, as we see Nicodemus the Pharisee in our gospel today. And we also know that when we say that someone is a Pharisee, it is not meant to be a compliment. Where do the Pharisees come from anyway? Well, after the Babylonian captivity, the Jewish people were able to return to the land of Israel and rebuild their temple. But they still faced a lot of opposition from the Gentiles who surrounded them, as well as the, the Gentile nations who invaded them and tried to force their ways 
especially the Greeks, try to force their ways upon the Jewish people. So these and other factors led to the development of the Pharisees. They started out with good intentions because the idea was that we're surrounded by these people. They're trying to influence us which, which are with ways which are contrary to God. But we want to try to adhere to the laws of Moses, the Torah. And these Pharisees were highly trained and extremely knowledgeable. However, over time, some man-made laws that they, they developed themselves crept in. And the Pharisees eventually evolved into the picture we see in the New Testament today from the, the Gospels and the book of Acts. And the Pharisees were laymen, they weren't priests, but they were considered authority figures, and their opinions carried a lot of weight. And the Pharisee, the term Pharisee itself comes from the Hebrew parush, or the Aramaic parushi, which means one who is separated. And it probably refers to the Pharisees wanting to separate themselves from the Gentiles, from sources of ritual uncleanness and impurity, or from the other Jewish people that they deemed were not very religious. And the very fact that the Pharisees of Jesus' time considered themselves separate from the rest of the people, even the priests some of the time, the Pharisees and priests were often at odds, it shows, and we see, that the Pharisees were basically self-righteous people in general and considered themselves better, holier, more righteous than the rest of their Jewish brothers and sisters. And especially they saw them as better than the Gentiles. And when you understand the background and the belief system of these Pharisees, it seems very unlikely that this Pharisee Nicodemus would come to have a talk with Jesus and ask questions honestly of him with no intentions to put him in a trap and, and have him mess up, which is a lot of times why the Pharisees would ask him questions. And so it does make sense that when he does, when he does decide to come visit Jesus, he does it at night, under cover of darkness, so that no one can see or know about it. So on this particular occasion, one of the separated ones, he decides to temporarily detach himself from his religious community in order to seek out the one, the one with a capital O, who is the way and the truth and the life. Considering the fact that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, it's completely surprising that his first words to Jesus are, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. I'm sorry, this thing is, <laughs> keeps wanting to fall off here. Uh, I'm, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Now, this statement of Nicodemus tells us a couple of things. First, while most Pharisees are portrayed as hating Jesus and what he taught, 
The fact that Nicodemus calls him rabbi, which is Hebrew for my teacher, and acknowledges him to be a teacher shows that he respected Jesus. Now, even though Nicodemus at this time didn't quite view Jesus as the son of God or, or believe in him, he at least respected him. And secondly, Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus came from God. He even says that we, we know that you are a teacher come from God, which means at least one more Pharisee besides him knew that Jesus from God. Perhaps, perhaps it was Joseph of Arimathea, the, the Pharisee who asked Pilate for the body of Jesus and placed him in his own tomb. And it's possible that more of them recognized that Jesus was from God, but they still stubbornly refused to believe in him because that would mean they would lose their power and their status as Pharisees. But that's a whole other sermon. And Nicodemus also says that his acknowledgement that Jesus was from God is based on his signs that he did, the signs which the word John typically uses for miracles. You know, it's possible that Jesus had this conversation in mind later on in John chapter 10 when he said to some, some of the Pharisees who wanted to arrest him, he said, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe in me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus? Well, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus responds, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's obvious that these words of Jesus confused Nicodemus. But it makes sense that it, when the, the apostles themselves were sometimes confused at what Jesus said, that, that this unbeliever certainly would be. I mean, he, he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, and he didn't have faith or the Holy Spirit. In, in St. Paul's words, Nicodemus was a natural person. And as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, the natural person does not accept the things of God, or, uh, I'm sorry, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are a folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And the Greek word for natural in this verse can literally mean not possessing the Spirit of God, which is what Paul was writing about here. So Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus about spiritual things, but Nicodemus was perceiving them as earthly things. And that's why he couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about, much like the woman of the well did in chapter 4, when Jesus was talking about spiritual drink, and she was understanding physical water. 
And back to this conversation, the Greek word for born again can also mean born from above. And both translations are correct. And the author John here is purposely ambiguous, probably, when he wrote it out in Greek. Because Nicodemus is correct when he says that no one can be born again physically. But, however, one can be born again spiritually, and that birth only comes from above, that is, from the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we know, as, as Lutherans, we know that the Spirit does use earthly means the word of God, the gospel proclaimed, the sacraments, baptism, water, holy communion, bread and wine. This is what it boils down to. So Nicodemus is a, is a Pharisee, a strict follower of the law. It is impossible for the law to change anyone, at least for the better. A person may seem visibly righteous based on the law, that's what Luther call, used to call the civil righteousness. It is possible to go through life and not murder anyone, not commit adultery, and not steal. But it is not possible, it is impossible for anyone to live and never hate anyone or be angry with anyone or lust after anyone or covet someone else's property. And Jesus makes it very clear that that is just as much breaking the commandments as physically accomplishing these tasks. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus here that, you're, that his outward law-keeping cannot save him. The only thing that, that can do that, that can save, the only one who can save is Jesus. And the fact that can only be, and that fact that Jesus is our Savior can only be believed through the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if Nicodemus was able to read between the lines of what Jesus was saying, that is, if he had been a believer and had the Holy Spirit, he possibly would have understood what Jesus was telling him. It's as if Jesus was saying this. If, if Jesus wasn't speaking in hidden terms and just speaking correctly, he would have probably said this. Nicodemus, you think you are righteous by your law-keeping, but the truth is that you're not. And you don't. You can't keep the law. And the reason you can't keep it is because you are a sinner. You are a sinner in need of forgiveness, a sinner in need of a Savior. Now, no one likes to hear that, right? No one likes to hear that he or she is a sinner. I'm sure Nicodemus wouldn't. I, I normally don't thank someone when they expose my sin. At least not at the moment. But we, we can't do anything to change the truth that we are sinners. But Jesus can. And that's why even though he was cryptic, when he was telling Nicodemus about this born again and water and spirit, he was extremely clear. He could not have been clearer when he provided Nicodemus with the solution to the problem. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And you see, what Jesus said to Nicodemus, that applies to us as well. Applies to everyone. For God so loved the world, not just the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just people we know and love, not just people in our church, everyone, E-V-E-R-Y, one. And more specifically, God loves you. Each and every one of you individually. According to Martin Luther, the, the two most important words in the Nicene Creed are for us. The creeds are full of truths and facts about God, but unless they become our truths, they are no, we are no different from the demons. As the apostle James and brother of our Lord wrote, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. But Jesus does not want us to shudder. Jesus wants us to know that he became a Pharisee, a separated one, because he was separated from God his Father as he carried our sins and suffered on the cross. And he did this to reconcile us to God so that we would never be separated from him. He wants us to be free free from the demands of the law that we are unable to uphold, free from sin, death, hell, the power of the devil, free to trust in him as our savior and confess our sins to God, knowing with absolute certainty that we are forgiven through the blood of Christ. Free to admit the struggle and the constant battle within between our sinful flesh and the Holy Spirit, just as St. Paul admitted this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But more importantly, Paul knew the answer to his struggle. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul, uh, Jesus wants us to echo Paul's words with confidence. Thanks be to God indeed. Now we have, we have many examples of people in the scripture, and I'm sure people we know, who found this freedom in and through Christ. Paul is certainly one of them. Some others are just a few. Mary Magdalene, Matthew, the tax collector, Zacchaeus. Peter's a great example for us. You know, in one of his early encounters with Jesus, Peter says, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. And then a little later on, he boldly, boldly declares, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, of course, later we know that it, at the Last Supper, Peter strongly denied three times that he would ever deny Jesus. And of course, before the rooster crowed the next morning, he did that very thing three times. Peter experienced all those ups and downs. 
that struggle that Paul describes so very well, the struggle that, that we experience all too often. But Peter, too, found freedom. Except this time, he didn't ask Jesus to depart from him. Peter was out fishing in his boat and saw Jesus on the shore. This was after the resurrection. And he swam, jumped out of that boat, making his other people work harder. <laughs> but he jumped out of that boat. He swam to Jesus as fast as he could. And Peter was ashamed and hurt that Jesus asked him, do you love me? Three times to parallel those three times Peter denied his Lord. But Jesus wasn't trying to embarrass Peter. He was giving Peter an opportunity to confess his sin and be forgiven. Confession and forgiveness. That is what our struggle should always lead to. We confess our sins, and Jesus always forgives. Always. But what about Nicodemus? How and where does his story end? You know, after his encounter with Jesus in John 3, he only shows up two more times. And that's, they're both in the Gospel of John. The second time is in chapter 7, and it's when some Pharisees wanted to arrest Jesus, and Nicodemus attempted to defend him, and he asked, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now, it's difficult to say here whether or not Nicodemus was a believer, but the final time we see him, John chapter 19, I think he's a believer for sure. That's when he most likely purchased himself and bought 75 pounds of burial spices to Jesus' tomb to prepare his body for burial. And while the scriptures are silent about it, he most likely was, pro was expelled from the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin for that one because he wouldn't have done that if he didn't believe and trust in Jesus at that time. And by the way, the name Nicodemus means victory of the people. And that's what Jesus has won for us by his cross and resurrection. Victory for the people. Victory for his people. Because Jesus' victory is our victory. Victory for St. Paul on the road to Damascus. Victory for Nicodemus at the tomb of Jesus. Victory for Peter on the beach. Victory for you and me. No matter where we are, no matter what our struggles are, we are on the road with Jesus. And better yet, no matter where we are, Jesus is on the road with us. Forgiving, leading, guiding, and much, much more than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.